say women to support the eat booty game, you're yeah. saying women is eating the booty? Yeah, women. Oh, come on, Jesus. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to make noise for that. Yeah, I get eight out. 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 I doing how are we doing um yo i miss y'all so much like i miss y'all so much like really like i did um yeah i think i just i don't know girl i it's not even that i didn't have time or so i actually really am super busy i'm the busiest i've been in a very long time which feels good um but i think i was just trying to make time for my fam like my family myself like i haven't been seeing any of the girls like none of the girls haven't been in the street um so i took time to go in the street i wasn't like you know covid irresponsible or anything like that but I um, was living, I was trying to see people, and I feel good. Today I feel bomb. I feel, I like, I've focused recently on my peace, on on a sense of, okay, so what do I need to do to maintain my sense of peace? What role does work have in my life does love have in my life does you know movement work and what role does all of this have in my life and what what role do all of these things play and I need to not allow myself to be disproportionately stressed by things that should not be stressful so you know i've been working work has been more stressful than it should be because this is not my vocation this is just how i'm getting my quaint so i've been like okay girl remember that like remember like fuck these niggas like i mean (laughs) you know and these niggas being a placeholder for anything that takes disproportionate space in my life you know so i've just been feeling like yeah occupy a smoother more like peaceful frequency demands that from things that uh are not your vocation demand that from really everything but especially if i don't really if this is not my spiritual purpose like, why the fuck am I going to allow people to stress me the fuck out? No, I just want my check to clear. So that's what I've been doing. I've been social. I've been reorganizing uh, and re-allotting, um, re-allotting, you know, energy, reallocating energy. 
And, you know, that's been great. I feel like a new bitch, not gonna lie. I feel feel good. She's feeling good. She's feeling real good, real peaceful, like, you know, real snatched. So we're happy. Um, it's interesting, though, because I've been doing, I've been reading the body key. Actually, let's do that after. I was going to just go straight into what I've been reading, but we're going to get to that later. We're going to get to that. Um... So, aside from my journey with peace and all of those things, I, um, or my reclaiming of peace, we'll say, I've been watching TV. So, I watched Young Royals, this is just the show on Netflix, because people recommended it. I had seen it, like, Netflix tried to sell it to me whenever it came out, like, you know, they, because I watch gay shit, and the shit that I watch is trash a lot of the time, so they were like, you don't like this, um, and, you know, no, it wasn't bad, it actually, it was good, it was good, like, I, at first I was hesitant because I don't really want to listen to or care about, um, white royalty, it's like Swedish royalty, like, I'm good, like, I, I don't care, um, so I had a little bit of trouble, and it was taking place at a private school, like a boarding school, there was, like, a lot of that stuff that reminded me of my experience. So I was just like, I'm good. I'm good on her. She's good. She's She could do whatever. But then, um, it just, like, it broke my heart, like, watching, you know, one of the characters gets outed, another character who is a poor, um, single mom, you know, abusive, or not abusive, but alcoholic and neglectful dad who, you know, is being used for his body, but is not being used in relationship. And, you know, then you have another character who is uh, just trying hard not to be poor, willing to change themselves to not be poor, to fit in, to be liked. And um, it just, like, all of those things reminded me of stories that I had seen in my experiences, things of my own experience. And it, it, it eventually got to me, and, like, I had to pause it a couple of times, not because I was overwhelmed with, like, sadness, but because of the anxiety of knowing what is coming. You know, there, there's, there's certain things that you watch or certain media that, like, sometimes we expect for movies or TV shows to have plot twists that we can't see coming. I think what I like about a lot of gay film um, is that... If you've lived this life, a lot of the challenges, but that really affects younger protagonists, you can predict because it's just how niggas are or like it's just how things go in the community. And it's still sad to see. Like it's still like you just don't want to see a kid be heartbroken in this way. Like you don't want to see a kid be outed. You don't want to see a kid be used and neglected. You don't want to see a kid uh, who's in love be turned away, um, you know, be hoping for advocacy and hoping for solidarity in their partner and not get it. Like you still don't want to see that, even though you know it's the truth. And gay film, I think, plays an interest, has a difficult thing, a difficult task ahead of itself, similar to black cinema and black film, is like, you know, you want to be accurate 
because you want the writing to be good. So on half, like, you know, what it means for black writing to be good, what it means for black, for gay, queer writing to be good is, one, to depict the truth, to depict the narratives. But then the second is to also give us a chance to reimagine our lives and scrub it a little bit from scrub it of the tragedy like scrub it of the heartbreak like i simultaneously want to see the truth but also i want to see you know gay teens be happy and in love and like be chosen and have the fairy tale romance of like the prince and you know the prince and the popper i'm sure i'm misusing the word popper there but you know the prince and like the, the aladdin story and you know i i, I want to see that for us but i also want to see the truth of what happens for to us and it's important to have both so i feel and that's true like i remember when i talked about sylvie's love the uh the film uh what's her name tessa thompson and oh boy um whoever else was in it i'm sorry because it was a while ago like i loved just seeing a love story like no real like real trauma and real tragedy no this no that like let this black woman be successful in tv let her you know have to deal with some things but generally like things are fine she falls in love she like let this just be the story like i don't want to have to have to I don't want to have her have to contend with all these things that she would likely have to contend with right like if you think about what it meant in that time period for there to be a black woman you know tv media mogul or whatever like that shit single mom like you know like that shit would be hard but <laughs> um we got the chance to see it, and that was beautiful for me. So I don't know. I feel like it's tough to navigate both, but that's just the challenge of having to represent and create art for um, marginalized communities. So, yeah, I watched her. I feel like I watched something else that I liked. Um... Oh, I'm watching Nine Perfect Strangers because Nicole Kidman's in it. And it's so funny. I never fucked with her. Like, I never saw it for her until Big Little Lies. Like, I mean, and this is so crazy because she's been doing this for so long. And I remember, uh, you know, the old movie with Tom Cruise. I remember Moulin Rouge. And people were really like, she's the one. Like, in high school, people were like, this is, she's that girl. And I never saw it for her. I never did. But Big Little Lies came, baby. And I was like, oh. Oh, okay. She's giving. I see. I see. I see, said the blind man. That's what my grandmother used to say all the time. She still said, I shouldn't say it as much, but. No, I see. I see. Um. Yeah, I see her. So now when she's in something, I just press click. I just press watch. I just press play. It's fine. I'm watching this. It's decent. I'm enjoying it. I love Melissa uh, McCarthy. McCarthy? I don't know her last name. McCarthy. I think it's McCarthy, yeah. Um, she's doing... I mean, it's good. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. It's giving me what I want. It's, it's not Big Little Lies, but... 
I mean, that is just, that was singular. I mean, with Reese, it, it was just, it was everything, 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 everything. Um, and Reese does some good shit, not gonna lie. And Reese is not on this project. But the same guy, David Kelly, is on this project. Um, what else have I been consuming? Music has been... I have not loved anything that I've heard. So I liked... Um, Yeba came out with her album Dawn that I liked. But I wasn't... It's It's... I need to give it several listens, uh, front to back listens. I've only given it one front to back listen. She, I mean, musically is incredible. She's inspiring me. She's teaching me. I feel like when I'm listening to her album, I'm really studying. And I think that's why I haven't fallen in love with, um, with the album as a piece of art, I think for me as a singer, as a songwriter, as a musician, I when I encounter her talent, I encounter it like I need to learn from it as opposed to just like being a witness to it. So that is affecting, I think, how I enjoy the art itself. I will say, though, that as a songwriter, like I like... Um, I love the content and what she's giving. I do think that her approach to songwriting isn't... Um, no, I think her approach to songwriting is very... She says what she has to say, and she doesn't compromise it for... Um, musicality, which... I like as a person and as a femme person and I think she should do that thing. All artists should do that. Well, I think that all artists should say what they have to say. I do think that there are times in terms of like melody lines that there could be, there are maybe more musical ways to approach it. But it also depends on what you're looking for from musicality. Like for me, I'm look some. I, I like so. I don't know. Like it's just a sensibility. It's not. This is not a criticism because I think she's. <laughs> I think she's pretty perfect. Like I do. And like I said, I'm studying the her. I'm studying her. She's somebody that, um, particularly her approach to singing. I. And like I said, like I'm, she's the one, right? So I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm criticizing it. I just am not like, oh, this is. It's not like how I felt about Butterfly when it came out, um, which uh, nothing can compare to Butterfly. So there's that. Um, that I heard Kendrick's contributions. That's like Baby Keem's album. I like. Um, I I like that the stuff is being di like, that is different. I. I don't know. I mean, I've spoken about this before. I think black art, and I think maybe this is worth talking about right now. That was not a coke sniffle. <laughs> um, I I feel that I've spoken about this on the on this on this podcast before, but I'm gonna do it again. You know, I think that. We know, I look to the 90s as a golden era of black art. 
because black art was doing the business of telling black stories and of telling stories, period, that just happened to be black, but focusing on narrative, being specific, you know, really talking about what was going on and people and, you know, and, the, and whatever, was it the street? Was it the home? The, the 90s people were doing that. Um, and I even think with some debut projects or, you know, first projects, artists are doing that. I think that that the power of telling those stories, right? The power of having that specificity in your music and the culture makes liberatory ideas more accessible for everyone, for the public. What I mean by that is, I always use this as an example, I think I have on this podcast as well, you know, fuck the police is an abolitionist idea, right? Whether or not it's, you know, fully attacking the prison industrial complex, whether or not it does, it makes an antagonistic attitude towards people, towards an institution that oppresses the community at large and makes that idea accessible. So the world, and by the world, I really mean like white supremacy, white supremacist, capitalism, blah, 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 does not want to see art do that. It doesn't want to see art make these ideas that are that have existed but other but really on the intellectual academic or plain or in private you know people might have i mean that's what makes the song what it is is that fuck the police is not something that no one says right it's it's i mean particularly then uh people were saying this all the time but behind closed doors and i also think that's a secret of songwriting is to really take common language as well, which is kind of what I meant by musicality, about the Yabba example. But anyway, so... Um, so... The industry does not invest in that anymore because, you know, that kind of... Ab like, not just abolitionism, but like communal living, sharing of resources, you know, this type of thing um, is, it's funny, I was just, what distracted me was I Shot the Sheriff, which is, I'm, isn't that the name of the song? I think, whatever, that's the lyric that I always, I call it I Shot the Sheriff, the Bob Marley song. Why people love that song? <laughs> but anyway, so I just, um, yeah, there, there's a kind of divestment, not just divestment from that kind of work, but there's a deliberate investment in the opposite. So while people are talking about communal living, while people are talking about sharing resources, the need for us to stick together as a community, there's this investment in hyper-capitalistic, materialistic ideas. And there's a conflation. So a lot of times, like, rappers were in the 90s associated with 
um, hyper-capitalism because they did want money and drug dealing and stuff and the chains and jewelry. But a lot of people actually gave back and invested in their community. They thought they tried to stay in the hood. You know, <laughs> they tried to, there was, a, there was a respect associated with staying in the hood with still being good and where you're from. And that shifted to and like I and that still wanting to be in your community and give back to your community and obviously there were problems the people were in the, they, if you were mixing in the street you had to leave but conflating wearing jewelry with hyper capitalism I think is something that white people have told have have done you know where it's or not even just white people firmly that's like a respectability politic thing as well where jewelry happens to be expensive but expressing yourself through like ornate you know shiny shit does not mean you are against you are you know opposed to giving and sharing with their community it doesn't mean you're opposed to the reallocation of resources i i and i know people are like people only buy the chains because they're expensive um and that could be true but i think people in the history of jewelry like people wore stones and wore metals forever and they you know it didn't need to be expensive i think people just liked they just have that relationship with the earth. Well, you know, that they wanted to wear it. And I don't necessarily think that all, the, the only aesthetic value of jewelry is the cost. Especially when you look at, and like, you know, non-whites, the global majority. I mean, every community that has a positive relationship with the earth also had their ornamentation of the earth's materials. So... You know, but there was this idea that you must want change, you must want jewelry, and in wanting that, you must also be against helping your community or be against communal living or be against um, investing in black institutions. And that's just not true, right? Like, it doesn't have to be the case. So you started, there's this cultural idea that came forth that was like, okay, as a musician, as a rapper, as a black artist, you gotta get rich, wear a lot of expensive shit, wear, you know, be a symbol of what's possible, but not invest like not be accessible to your people and then your music has to be an advertisement of the elitist lifestyle right your music has to where where your music used to be a collection of stories and uh, an uh, intimate telling of different lifestyles in your community your 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 art now has to be your art now has to be uh, ad advertising for LVMH. You know, it has to be advertising for all these things. And I think that really su sucks the urgency and the creativity from the art form and from the culture. And I think when you're first, first starting out, your first album, you don't have no fucking money. 
So you're not using your art in that way. You're using your art to tell a story because you don't have any other stories. But then as you get money and as the industry works, you start to your art starts to shift in this way. So a lot of these second projects that are coming out or these other singles not hitting, it's just I'm not really terribly like excited by the art. Um, so I need to put my, I mean, I would hope people like my art, but if people aren't excited by my art, I completely get it. Like that too, like fine. You know, that's why I was like, I'm not trying to be shady, whatever. I'm working on my project to release it next, next, uh, spring. You know, I hope y'all like it. If y'all don't, you know, eat my ass. Like chick. Um, what else did I want to discuss? So yeah, so I wanted to go to the body keeps the score. I just started it. I'm like 100 pages in, so it's not, like, I'm not going to give a full anything. I, I, I just, I want to, you know, in reading it, it's been, it's been um, making me reconfront some of my own things, and what I want to say about this, and what I want to say now, is that... In the movement, in in the movement, in not and not just the movement as sort of a liberatory united front or whatever, but really in the intentional, deliberate march toward anything that resembles wholeness. So peace, joy, freedom, all of these things, right? We, I see intimacy as a crucial part of that, especially if the wholeness is not solitary. If we're trying to be whole with other people, with our community, I see intimacy as a key part of that. In reading, the body keeps the score. And even before that, y'all know how I think I always connect everything to everything else. In realizing or in, you know, the deliberate, like in focusing on how trauma changes our bodies, our physiological responses, the dissociation versus uh, the sort of hypersensitivity, the flashbacks, the ways that we disconnect the mothers, uh, the mic, the small ways, the refusal to give eye contact, the panic. I mean, I'm talking about really myself now. The refusal to, or not refusal, but the deliberate kind of management of how I connect, the physical touch, of you know the time that I give, of how I get super focused on being very clear, especially when I'm talking to, you know, certain people that I know are, are gaslighters or that, you know, will lie about what happened, you know, the need for receipt keeping. I've talked about that on the podcast earlier. Like the people, like especially femme folk, keep receipts because we know, they know that niggas lie. You know, um, they, these things are... 
trauma responses and like receipt keeping is elaborate you know is it a, it's an elaborate thing i'm really talking about the physiological response the the stress hormones that are released when preparing for a fight that should not that either doesn't currently exist or should not be normal in your life and i think about how much i prepare for conflict you know how much i prepare for um problems and not just in in the literal or elaborate preparation of argument i'm not talking about when you people in the shower like replaying arguments or like in the mirror rapping you know i'm not talking about that which is also part of it but i'm talking about even body language, you come up to somebody, you know, it's like you walking down the street, you see somebody that you know is going to be problematic, you prepare, you prepare your body and to do whatever you think is the right thing, to not break your stride, to get clench your fist, to plant your feet more deliberately, to bend your knees a little bit so you're, you know, so if you, somebody come for you, you have strong balance, you can throw a fist with your body, you know, whatever it is. All of those things put together, I remember reading or listening to, I think it was Ezra, I think. I think it was Ezra Klein, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast as well. This black man, I forgot his name, was on Ezra's show talking about like the neg- like the how racism kills black people. E- the stress that we are under in anticipation of oppression literally kills us. L- literally. And all literature that talks about deliber- like prolonged exposure to stress corroborates that. And I'm like, well, it kills us either directly or indirectly. It kills us directly via blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It also kills us by rendering us unable to be intimate which is as mammals just you know is a need it's not it's just fucked you know and i think about the role trauma plays and i'm being a little loose here because i don't want to conflate i don't want to put all traumas together I want to be specific about trauma. And so far in this book, he talks about, you know, having a stress response triggering you to fight or fly, or fly, you know, and being unable to, you know, having your circumstances restricted so that you cannot and in response you are hypersensitive or you dissociate but you that is a trauma response. And I'm not saying that that's the only definition of trauma. I'm not, I'm not being prescriptive in that way. But what I'm trying to say is that all unpleasant things aren't trauma. And I think about how many times in my life I've wanted to fight or flee 
and circumstances constricted me. So right now, the the the, the stress hormone, not right now, but the, in that situation or in those situations, your body, your stress hormones, everything is fighting and trying to save your life, but you cannot do anything. And how fucked that renders the body and the mind. Um, and what that does, even for my style of communicating, of loving, about like for me, how it affects myself is often the refusal to be violated. You know, once I see somebody even attempt to try it, you know, my response is to snuff it out. You know what I'm saying? Is to snuff it out. I don't don't play with me. That's my that's typically my response. You know, but I, it, it might not even need to be all of that. You know, or I ignore it completely. Like, I ignore it completely. Like, you are not even present. Like, I don't even see you. And I'm fine with that forever. And I'm thinking, like, it's be, it, those, when I talk about my two responses and I think about, you know, intimacy, I see how that's so juxtaposed to that goal. Um, yeah, I see, I see how it troubles it. Um, and it's like, I... I you know, I'm obviously capable of being diplomatic. That's the that's my large, you know, that's what I do. But I think that, you know, I learned to be diplomatic in my mat- in my maturation. You know, I learned to be diplomatic, and what helped me, but really be diplomatic was this goal, like this you know, reclaiming of my peace, which I did as a younger person. And I think I recently lost sight of it, not because of the, not because of diplomacy, but really because I'm just, now I'm just so busy that like, I need my peace in order to be productive. Um, So that is a different level. But I was just thinking about how intimacy, how all of this is connected for me. You know, how we, and I think broadly, how we respond to trauma, how trauma affects our um, bodies and the way we socialize and then how that, you know, precludes intimacy, which could preclude how we, which could determine and preclude how successful we are um, at achieving the higher goals of liberation, love, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been thinking about. I started the podcast with Chick Daddy. Cause I love Chick. I do. I I do. I always have because it's just like, he's just, it's just so crazy. But, um, yeah, I support him getting his ass eaten. I remember seeing it on... And Twitter, people were like, somebody eating Chick Daddy ass? I mean, somebody is eating Chick Daddy ass, but that's the benefit of being a cishet man. Like, as a cishet man, some, like, there is somebody who's gonna eat your ass. Like, honestly. Don't matter what you look like. It don't. It don't. Somebody's gonna eat your ass. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's, it's so interesting though, like Nori talking about like shock that people are eating ass. It just, I, 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 you know, it's just interesting what people's sexualities are doing. 
Because I never, I feel like I assumed that people were getting their ass ate. Right? Like, it was news to me that uh, he, this man is like 45, 50. I don't know how old Noriega is, but he old. I shouldn't say he old. He's not old at all. But he is, you know, not 21. He got to be like 45. You mean to tell me after all the money you made, all the hoes, all this and that, you ain't ever get your ass eaten? What do y'all be doing in the house? Nothing? Like, it's just, I don't know. But he was like, he was shocked. I just loved that. Um, what else is there to talk about that I think is um, interesting? I guess, like, on the point of trauma, on the convert, the theme or the topic of trauma... You know, I'm recording this episode on a Sunday, which I never do, but I think I'm going to do that more often. Um, And it's Sunday, September 12th. So this is a day after 9-11. And, you know, I I just... I obviously remember it very well. My heart goes out to anybody who's lost anyone and also folks that are recovering from in many ways from the fallout and stuff from that. Um, I do want us to uh, just remember the, the global context of something like that, that there are people suffering right now with acts of terror now, right, that are on the same scale, if not larger than the thousands of people that were killed or that continue to die with illnesses related to the exposure of chemicals and blah, blah, blah. Um, So, yeah, I just want to note that that this tragedy is something that obviously as a New Yorker hit home and, you know, it was tough and remains to be tough for a lot of people. And... And a lot of people are suffering from similar things, um, similar in kind, varying in degree um, now, globally. And what else? I feel like that's it. I do. I did want to talk about polyamory. I, I, I wanted to have another conversation about it. I spoke about this last week. But I think I'm our last episode. I think I'm gonna hold off on that. I wanna I wanna really focus on healing and trauma and um for like the next couple of weeks. I, I think it's important for me to focus on that work going forward as an individual and make that the centerpiece of where my spirit is for the next couple of months, probably for like the next six months. So I don't know how much critical analysis I'm I think I'll still do that kind of stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, well, thank y'all for rocking with me. I am changing some things about the the channel, the podcast. I want to make my episodes available on YouTube publicly. I'll do that. I'll likely do other videos on the Patreon uh, or engage in conversation and have some written content there. 
Uh, and that's kind of, and my art will also be funneled through Patreon. And then the YouTube channel will just be all the videos and things that I want to do to make it more you know, fun or public. And then I need to start promoting this podcast, y'all, because we on episode 90. And we got we to gotta step my cookie, step my banks up. We got to um, do that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know what I'm talking about next time. But anyway, I love you all. I love you all. Thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for rocking with the kids. You know what I'm saying? I'm still juicy. Still kids. Still, it's still, it's still giving what it's giving. It's still, I mean, I say it's still great. All right, let me go. Bye. <laughs>